Welcome to the Well Fuel Podcast, your spot for everything gut health, detox, hormones, a healthy home, mold, and everything in between. I'm your host, Isabel Smith. I'm an integrative and functional registered dietitian and the founder of Isabel Smith Nutrition. Hello, hello, friends. Back at it. Just me today, Isabel here. It's just going to be me today because we're going to talk about some juicy stuff in my own personal life and a journey that you guys have been following along if you've been following on Instagram. Uh, It is my Lyme journey. It has been quite an interesting roundabout. And I shared with you guys in the first podcast that this was something that I was currently working on and that this was something that I was currently being treated for. And I've shared a little bit on Instagram, but I figured I'd share a little bit more and sort of how it came to be and, you know, what exactly it's looked like for me, because Lyme is a sneaky devil and it also comes with other co-infections, which can be super important and super relevant to address, consider, and most importantly, as always, um, work with a practitioner that you feel comfortable with, that you trust that you feel like is going to do the best job for you. And sometimes we don't know what that looks like until we get started. And sometimes it takes a bunch of practitioners to work through in order to get to where we want to go. However, when we get to that point and we find somebody that we're trusting in and we are vibing with, this can make all the difference in terms of healing. And as we discussed on another podcast, and if you haven't listened to this one with Kate Donovan, you're going to want to, talking about energetic exchange with healthcare practitioners, super, super important because it is part of the healing process. And it certainly has been for me. My village that has surrounded me throughout the process of my healing journey has been probably the most important component to my healing journey. I have worked with various different types of practitioners, many of which have become good friends or were good friends beforehand and have continued to be good friends and support systems. Even as a practitioner and an expert in the field, we want to make sure that we're not treating ourselves. And I'm cautious and careful of this because it can be easy to fall into this trap. And sometimes, especially when there's areas that are, for lack of a better term, kind of foggy and or you don't feel like you have a clear direction, it can be easy to do the work yourself. And even if you're not a healthcare practitioner, it can be. But anyway, let's dive into my Lyme journey. So if I rewind back to my childhood, we lived in London and I started having allergies as a kiddo, uh, probably age uh, two or three, I had, I would get hives. And I also got asthma at this time. And fast forward, we actually found a species that might've been linked back to Europe and European style ticks, which is interesting. You know, I started out as an allergic kiddo and then, you know, things got better. They took me off of dairy. I was also on antibiotics as a child, brand new baby with a staph ear infection. But as a kid, asthma and, and hives and allergies, not to fake red foods, but to beets and strawberries. And that was pretty much it. And then fast forward through my early life, things got better allergies were not really so relevant. And then I started having sensitivity to foods in my teens and I started cutting out gluten. I felt better, less inflamed, et cetera. I definitely had, you know, some stomach symptoms to various different things, but nothing like in the category of where I was when I really dove into all of this. But, you know, I went to boarding school in the woods of Connecticut. I went to camp in the summers in Vermont from when I was a small child You could find me sitting in lots of grassy, wooded areas. And at that time, we weren't checking ourselves for ticks that I can recall. 
And it just wasn't something like it is now. And, and though I do believe there has been, and per the data, a lot of, you know, new cases and Lyme and bug-borne illnesses have been on the rise. This isn't new, and this has been around for quite some time. So the reality is that I could have easily been bitten by a tick or, you know, earlier on, I certainly had tons of mosquito bites. And we know also that mosquitoes can carry uh, various different bugs and, and bacteria as well. And what, when we think about somebody's immune system and we think about what's going on in somebody's body, we think about the accumulation of various different pathogens and bacteria and viruses and things that really weigh heavily on the immune system and, and cause our bodies to lose tolerance, right? We are made to be tolerant beings. And by tolerant, I mean tolerant of the environment, tolerant of foods, tolerant of dusts and allergens and all of this. And it's when we lose that tolerance, right? that we sort of scratch our heads, especially as adults, adult onset allergies and sensitivities, et cetera. We scratch our heads and we go, hum, what's causing this? What's behind the scene? Or I do, maybe not everybody does. Ticks and tick-borne, bug-borne illnesses. I have some cool stats here. I'll pull one up, which is, by the way, not just in the Northeast here, but but throughout the country, we're seeing a spike in, in bug-borne illnesses and ticks and and tick bites and, and all of that because of climate change, of course, but because don't forget, you know, we now have um, increased modalities for travel and getting around. So somebody who's been in the woods, you know, with the pants on that they get on the airplane can hop in with a bug, a tick or something on their pants and drop it on the airplane seat. So even if you don't live in somewhere, some location rather that you might be able to get a tick, you know, it's not just about where you've been, but it's about where the person who sat in your seat was before. So an interesting statistic. And I didn't do, this is not a super sciencey episode. I'm going to have a super Lyme expert on here, but I just wanted to like share some anecdotal and chat with you guys and tell you about my perspective because you guys have been asking me for more of it. So the incidence of Lyme disease in the United States has nearly doubled since 91 from 3.74, nice round number there, Reported cases per 100,000 people to 7.21 reported cases per 100,000 people in 2018. And honestly, what I would tell you is that a lot of people go undetected because the general type of testing that we do often, uh, which is a Western blot, I find, and you know, I think the medical medical community finds that it is more sensitive to acute infection, recent infection, than it is to long-term infection. These bugs and these bacteria, they kind of like end up sitting back in the backgrounds of the tissues settling in, causing inflammation there on more of a local level. And for some people, it can be a very overwhelming inflammation and can make them super sick. But for a lot of people, it can just sit in the background, probably not in the background, but we're not necessarily always able to see it. So oftentimes we don't get a positive test when somebody uh, has actual Lyme disease. You're talking to one or listening to one right now. Um, I had been tested a number of times in Western blot with no interesting findings many, 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 many times prior to getting a positive result. I believe that my experience with Lyme and ticks and stuff probably went back, as I said before, into my childhood. And when we tested me using an hygienics test, so I worked with, again, a wonderful practitioner who's going to be on the podcast at some point. By the time this show airs, she could have already been on here or she might not have been yet. Her name is Mary Beth Charno and she's fantastic. And she's agreed to come on and chat with us about all things mold and Lyme. And we may have to have her on twice to discuss all these things, but super excited to have her. So she, I was meeting with her to 
discuss what I thought was like long COVID or something after I got married this summer, I got COVID and I got really whooped by it. I had already treated myself for mold and been through that as I discussed with you guys on the first podcast. So I'm getting ready to meet with Mary Beth uh, at the recommendation of another, another wonderful doctor and friend, Rob Graham. And I'm filling out the intake questionnaire and all the information. And, you know, she has a tally up uh, your score against Lyme disease, you know, and I like did all the numbers and checked all the boxes and tallied it up and looked and I was like, Oh my gosh, my number's like hundred percent. So I got on the phone with Mary Beth and I was like, Mary Beth, I think I might have Lyme disease. And she's like, Isabel, I think you might have Lyme disease. So what we did then is we did a doxycycline challenge. So she gave me three days worth of doxycycline two, two times a day. I felt pretty crappy. Honestly, I was achy, sore, so I knew something was being woken up from, you know, deep down in the tissue. And then three to 10 days later, I did an Igenix test. And I, an Igenix testing is slightly different. They use recombinant proteins to detect Lyme in both IgM and IgG antibodies. And it's more complicated than that, but it's just a different type of test. And they test a lot more different species and a lot more different assays and different immunoglobulins. And I was able to find that I was positive for a variety of different species. Relapsing fever came up, a species of tick that would that would have maybe been found in the UK when I was growing up as a child in London. And then I had two of the bands for Lyme. Bartonella and Babesia did not show up, but I can tell you in my treatment process, I have been a lot more symptomatic to Babesia than I even was to Lyme. So, you know, I met back with Mary Beth and we uh, discussed, you know, kind of what the protocol was be. And at the time she sent me like the first antibiotic combination and I was so nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. This is horrible. How am I going to do this? This is going to be so difficult. Honestly, if I look back now and look at what that was versus what I'm on now, that was nothing. And the symptoms that I was experiencing that made me reach out in the first place was I was having really, really heightened anxiety. As I mentioned to you guys on the first podcast, I am not by nature an anxious person. I am definitely driven by more like fear and, you know, fear of failure and, you know, being very honest and, but I'm not, you know, anxious and anxiety was something that started to show up for me in like 2017, 2018 around when I think I had a tick bite, but it wasn't, it's not like a, I'm not by nature an anxious person. So I was having a lot of anxiety, crazy anxiety and anxiety that didn't really make sense to me really bad night sweats, really bad insomnia. My weight was something which I've shared with you guys was unmanageable. Like what I was doing wasn't matching the outcome. And I just knew something was wrong because I couldn't get it under control or felt like I couldn't. Serious muscle soreness, which probably started somewhere around 2013, 2014. Swollen lymph nodes, especially my neck. I remember when I would work in the hospital, I had some nurse practitioner and doctor friends who I'd have them like, you know, feel my lymph node because, you know, when you work in the hospital, you also are worried about like, you know, getting all the things you you suddenly think you have all these diseases that you don't, but the swollen lymph node in my neck, super, super sluggish lymphatic system, a lot of lymphatic system clogging. Um, My hair was actually falling out. I thought that that was stress for my wedding, but it turns out my hair is, I don't have a ton of hair, but my hair is definitely happier and healthier now. I had ridges on my fingernails that I actually don't have now. And so I wonder if that actually was related. And this is going to be phase one, part one of this journey, because I'm going to continue to fill you in as I kind of get to the other side. I'm like 
mid to like three quarters of the way through, but ridges on my, on my fingernails. What else is having chronic candida, chronic overgrowth, which I think was from the mold situation. But again, my immune system was clearly uh, having trouble because of the bug. So the other thing that Mary Beth did besides testing me for Lyme and looking at the bug borne panel was also looking at my total viral panel. My herpes six was off the chart. My whatever herpes simplex one, whatever the canker sore wanted simplex one was pretty high. Uh, Epstein bar was pretty high. So I had a super high viral load in addition to all of these Lyme, you know, bugs, but no, but Bartonella, no Babesia showing up at the test at the time. So Uh, Like I said, she presented me with this antibiotic regimen and I scrambled and was actually considering going. There are some clinics in Europe where they turn your basal temperature up and Lyme does not survive past somewhere in the 106 range temperature wise, which is why it's rare in the desert. But what they do is they turn your internal body temperature up over that number. So they turn it to about 107. You do it in a like medically induced coma sort of situation and I was convinced I was going to do that because I was just freaked out about how I could feel and what I was feeling. Well, fast forward, I didn't do, end up doing that. I would have told you guys about that. For those of you guys who follow me on social media, that would have been definitely part of the day-to-day. I clearly didn't go and do that. And I started doing the antibiotics. Mary Beth said to me, because I expressed my concern, she said, look, you know, with all due respect, you know, you're pretty well considering what's living in your body. You're actually pretty well. And, and she's right. And so she said, why don't you give this a try? I think you're going to feel pretty great. And to be honest with you, the first round, which was pretty basic, the thromycin, minocycline, omnicef, and I think it was itraconazole was the first foursome I did, um, pulsing it, not taking it every day, you know, taking various weeks on and very weeks, various weeks off. I felt excellent. I felt excellent. My weight went down. You know, my allergies started to get better. By the way, I actually currently basically have no food allergies except lemon, which is a wild. I'll revisit that in a second. My sleep got better. My night sweats kind of, you know, took a back seat. We worked basically on the Lyme and the relapsing fever to begin. So the insomnia got better. I also had started at the time low dose naltrexone, which honestly I joked about in the podcast with Kate that we just recorded but that it's my best friend. And it really is my best friend. I love this stuff. So that was, you know, we started the first bit and I, and I noticed I started to feel better and exercise tolerance got a bit better at the time I was swimming in chlorine and training for the Ironman with my husband who's continued. And I, you know, jumped off as the treatment got a little bit more intense. And I realized that I needed to like not put my body through that. And I noticed uh, that I really started to have more energy. I started to, you know, feel better. So we like dove into the next part, which was Babesia. Remember, I told you that Babesia did not show up positive on my test. I can tell you for sure that Babesia was positive. Some of the hallmarks of Babesia, the noisiest one for me, um, and I'm also very candid about this, is I'm like a pretty fiery person can be a little bit of a bulldozer, which I try and keep at bay. Babesia can actually has like an anger rage part of it. And I can tell you, I'm a lot less of an angry person, which seeing me on social media and like meeting me and and getting to know me, you wouldn't know, but I can be pretty agitated or had been. and, And that's really gone away, which feels really wonderful. But what I did notice when I started the second round of stuff, which included you know, methylene blue, which is a doozy, as well as a totally new cocktail of antibiotics and herbals, Japanese knotweed, and, you know, a, a variety of others, still the itraconazole. And I almost don't even recall at this point because it was so long ago. I definitely got like more angry. And this is something that, you know, I talk about with clients all the time when we're treating the symptoms or treating, sorry, treating the whatever it is, we experience the symptoms more. We reopen up the infection. 
And so, you know, I started experiencing that a little bit. On some level, I had fewer symptoms, right? And was actually getting better. And then on other the other side, I was having more symptoms. So like more anger, more rage. I was like a real angry person for the first, I don't know, week or two of this treatment. It was crazy. Again, all behind the scenes, poor Paul, my husband. But anyway, uh, that has really subsided. You know, what I did notice again in the second phase there with Babesia was that I was starting to get a little bit more swollen again. And that was one of the things I had noticed. You know, at some point, if I think back about 10 to 15 years, I was starting to get really bad delayed onset muscle soreness, a lot of muscle swelling, poor muscle recovery. I did a CrossFit workout at some point with Paul and some friends and, and I looked like Popeye. My I was so swollen because my lymphatic system does not clear properly. And this was new. This is new. This is not me my whole life. And I think this has been part of the bug born journey for me. And again, everybody's journey is different, but I'm just here sharing with you mine because I know you guys have been asking, and this is the easiest way for me to share in a a longer term way, really more details. So the swelling started to come back a little bit, but manageable. You know, I think when, for me at least, um, and I talk to clients about this all the time, but when you're in the process of healing and you know, it's going to get better, you have a little bit more bandwidth for dealing with discomfort. And I think sometimes the discomfort is too uncomfortable before you know that there's going to be another, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, that there's going to be a solution, that there's going to be improvement. And then when you get, at least for me, to the point where like, I know that this is going to make me better, or at least I have to believe I can make it through and that I can get to the other side, because otherwise, how am I going to do that? And I'm going to have a whole separate solo podcast on mindset because it's really important. I mean, I was considering some of these new crazy protocols that I was doing because they they're pretty hefty. I was like, am I going to need to be having a bucket next to my desk while I'm talking to my clients? Am I going to be vomiting or like running to the bathroom to like poop my pants? But thankfully, you know, that hasn't been the case and and I've only continued to get better and better. So the Babesia was really the place where I really started to feel more discomfort. And then we got into the part, which is the Babesia plus the biofilm and biofilm is a sneaky devil because it actually traps more infection. And as we start to break it, open and break it free, you know, we expose more infection and then there's more infection that needs to be treated. So, you know, that the Bartonella, sorry, that'll be next rather the Babesia part with the biofilm was definitely pretty noisy. Um, however, again, my tolerance for discomfort keeps getting better and better because overall I feel better guys. I had an almond bread sandwich with peanut butter on it the other night. All right. I alluded to this on social media. Let's rewind a year ago. I could not be in a room with peanut butter. And three months ago, I couldn't eat almonds because I got sores all down my throat and all down into my chest. So what I can tell you, and I knew this in my body so intuitively was that, and based on the lab work, which showed no allergies, that the infectious nature of what's been going on in my body has been so much behind the scenes with these food allergies. Anaphylaxis, it's gone. I don't worry about it. On a daily basis today, let's just, just today, I've eaten walnuts, pine nuts, and a little bit of peanut butter. No problem whatsoever. This is not everybody's story. This is my story. We all seem to have different, you know, flavors and varieties. So where am we going next? I'm going into Bartonella land. I have a really, really crazy protocol coming up next. We're going to see how it goes, but I have to get through it. You know, it's been something that I didn't want to have to do this work, especially, you know, we just got married and, you know, I was like kind of planning on like, maybe we'd try to have a baby at some point. These medications have labels on them that literally say, 
do not even touch this if you are considering getting pregnant. So that is like completely off the table. What what we do know is that there is an increased risk of miscarriage in untreated Lyme and bacterial uh, bug-borne illness, increased risk of hormonal imbalance, of course, you know, the immune system is less happy. All of these factors that play a very, very important role in not only allowing somebody to get pregnant, but to stay pregnant, super important. So I knew it was something that I didn't, you know, uh, need to screw around with and that I really needed to focus on. So we're focusing on that. And, you know, if I'm super candid, which I'm always happy to be, I'm not like the person who's like, got to have a million kids. I'd be open to, you know, trying it out and seeing what happens. I have made the decision a long time ago that I was not going to do IVF because I have a history of melanoma and moles and moles and hormones and, you know, causes them to grow. And um, I've been advised by a number of people that it would be better if I didn't do that. So we'll see at whatever point, but for me in the moment, what I can tell you is that I feel so much better. You guys can probably see that on social media. I was yesterday morning, today's Friday, yesterday was Thursday. I just had this like joy that I haven't had Again, you guys see, I, I'm a generally joyful person, but I was like 12 out of 10 yesterday morning. I was just grateful and happy and was like on a treadmill running to, to Pitbull, which is like a fave fave for me. And I wanted to just jump off and dance. I was so happy. And that's how I've always been. I grew up, like woke up as a child every morning singing, right? That's just me. And I haven't, you know, I've had glimpses of that for sure. And things have continued to get better. And generally I wake up pretty sunny, but like for me, I was like a seven out of 10, which for most people is like pretty, pretty, pretty sunny. I'm like a 10 out of 10 on a, on a, you know, innately perspective, uh, in the morning, particularly don't talk to me by the end of the day, you know, you don't want to know me by bedtime, but the morning is a very, very happy joyful time. And that had really been taken away. I'd say probably for me, two things that stick out mostly with my Lyme symptoms, um, mental health stuff, I had a lot of anger, anxiety, you know, rage at some, at some points, which is really now gone, which I guess again, is Babesia as my friend Robin, who I'm hopeful will be on the podcast at some point would tell me that, you know, Babesia and rage go together. So there was that. And then the muscle soreness, swelling, lymphatic weight thing was probably like the second pot of things. The hormones were like generally all right, except for post-COVID. I had some really weirdo bleeding, which we've had um, seen across the board with our clients, honestly, at, of all ages. But other than that, those were my two real pockets. I guess the sleep. So I guess there's three, the sleep, the lymphatic weight, and kind of just like physic physicality of muscle soreness and swelling mental health, and then the sleep component, which kind of all goes together. So what's the moral of the story here? Well, I'm just here dropping lots of personal bombs. So, you know, take them or leave them. I always have found it super important to be very candid with you guys, because look, if I can inspire somebody out there to take better care of themselves, to continue to seek help, to seek wellness, to stay engaged in their journey, to feel hopeful to, you know, connect with a practitioner that, that jives with you, then I've done my job here. That is one of the reasons I love to be, you know, so involved with you guys on social media is because it just brings me lots of joy to be able to share my knowledge. Why else do I have it, right? I don't have it just for my own good. I have it for yours and for the world's hopefully. And so hoping you guys, you know, if you have been wondering or worrying that Lyme may be part of your picture, 
seeking out a true Lyme specialist, really important, you know, seeking out somebody who really knows what they're doing. Also really important. I've seen some pretty sketchy, dodgy antibiotic regimens that are probably inappropriate and make people really sick. In my in my time working with clients, I now know better because again, once we experience it as practitioners, it actually gives us more insight into what people experience and go through themselves. But I'm really grateful for my journey. You know, I definitely view it more as that than anything else, which helps me have energy and stay focused on where I want to be going. My personal journey is just continuing to unfold and there's a reason for this and there's a reason I believe for why this was put in front of me. And maybe it's simply just so that I can help you guys and share information, but please don't forget. You can always reach out to us. I can share information as I'm able, you know, a lot of you guys ask me really personal questions and I can only share so much at times, but don't forget that continue to stay curious and listen to your intuitive body because it knows what you need. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys next time for more solo podcast rambling and on with other awesome guests. See you soon. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Wellfield podcast. We're so happy to have you. To make sure you don't miss a beat, please subscribe either on Apple or Spotify because we have episodes dropping once or more a week with tons of great content. If you want to make sure that you're up to date on everything we're doing in the business with our clients and new offers and all the things, make sure that you check us out at Isabel Smith Nutrition on Instagram and IsabelSmithNutrition.com. See you guys soon.